thank you for joining us here on the Fearless Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and today I get to interview Daniel Devon, who is an expert on EMFs. So today we're going to talk about what are EMFs, how to know if you're affected by EMF exposure, how to know if the kids in school are being affected and if maybe this is contributing to some of their behavioral problems, how to protect yourself, and how to determine if you have multiple chemical sensitivity. Daniel Devon is an internationally recognized influential expert in shielding electronic emissions and electromagnetic radiation protection. He has a particular focus on the effect of the exposure from mobile devices such as laptops, tablets, and cell phones. He's the inventor of Defender Shield and the co-author of the book, Radiation Nation. Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Dan, thank you so much for being with us today. So excited to have you as a guest. Hey, Marie, Dr. Anne-Marie, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting with, with your audience. Awesome. So I just want to get into this because your book was so awesome. And uh, just for all the listeners out there, can you go over what are EMFs? Of course. Um, electromagnetic radiation, EMF has really only been around for us for the last 10, 20 years in a predominant way. Um, in fact, nature doesn't generate electromagnetic radiation other than extremely, extremely low frequency stuff up to 15 hertz. But generally speaking, all the electromagnetic radiation you and I are going to talk about is the stuff we make, the stuff we've generated with all the technologies we've introduced into our lives. So electromagnetic radiation is essentially two forms that we want to talk about today. And it's the radio frequency stuff, the stuff cell phone uses, Wi-Fi that your laptop uses, um, any of the electronic devices we have communicating with something else are generating radio frequency signals. And as a point of reference, it's about one to two gigahertz, one to two gigahertz. That's a fairly low frequency range uh, relative to an X-ray. X-rays are terahertz, billions, trillions of cycles per second. And we're talking about one to two gigahertz, which is about one to two billion cycles per second. Extremely, extremely much lower. So we have, we'll talk about that. It's the stuff that all the technology around us is generating. And the other kind is when you want to dry your hair, use a dryer, an electric motor, and it has a coil inside. That's extremely low frequency emissions. The stuff that's at roughly 60 hertz, really, really low, 60 hertz. Your refrigerator motor generates it. Your hair dryer generates it. Your toaster generates it. So there's that whole class of electronic AC stuff we have around us that also generates emissions. So roughly that's where 
where the kinds of discussions will fall into today. So roughly anything that plugs in is going to generate an EMF. Anytime you plug anything in, there's an electrical current. And when there's an electrical current, there is extremely low frequency emissions. Every time you use a laptop, cell phone, tablet, you use an Apple TV device using Wi-Fi, connecting to your router, that's using RF. Um, and so let's calibrate that a little bit. What is RF? Well, I'll start with you take a microwave, you, you have a piece of meat, you put it in the microwave oven, and you push the button, and what happens? There's a s electromagnetic radiation signal, about 2.3 gigahertz, that heats up the water between the cells, oscillates the cells, and it cooks your meat. Well, now you know why I told you it's 1 to 2 gigahertz. It's the same frequency rate as a microwave oven. The only thing is, it's much less power. Is that dangerous? Science suggests it is. And what are we seeing? Um, you know, you, you started with the microwave oven, so we'll, yeah. we'll go with that. What ill effects are you seeing potentially um, with that level of frequency? Okay, so um, before we started, you mentioned something about 5G. Mm -hmm. So yeah. let's talk about 4G and below. That's one to two gigahertz. All the science we know about today, all the research, all the very well-structured, um, designed uh, laboratory environment testing has given us a really pretty good solid understanding of what happens up to 4G. What we know is there are neurological impacts. We know there's physiological impacts. There could be eyes that hurt. You have tingling in your ears that may bother you. Headaches, fatigue, nausea, memory, memory loss, eye strain. You can't sleep right. A big deal when you start talking about the human body performance. So there's so many well-structured studies that we have learned a whole lot about the up to 4G and what the impact is in the body. And so the, the impact of up to 4G is pretty significant, but yes. now we're rolling out 5G. Yes. And so what's, I mean, what's the difference between 4G and 5G of the effect on the body? Because um, when I look up at, at buildings and office buildings, they're all over the side of office buildings. You're not able to be shielded from that. They're within, I think, Plenty of office buildings around where we are. I think we looked it up and where we are in a small town, there's 130 towers. Yep. And in our larger office, there's over 160 within a very close proximity. So what ill effects are we seeing from that? So let's talk a little bit about the RF signal from a cell phone, because that's a little bit about what you're talking about. Okay. When you talk about up to 4G, you're talking about a transmission from your cell phone that can go up to four or five miles. It, it can transmit a very long distance and you can communicate end to end because that signal goes really, really far. And it's in the one to two gigahertz space. And all the study and research we know about 
the impacts to the cell are around one to two gigahertz. Um, when you talk about 5G, uh, no, let's talk a little bit about first. When you talk about a, a signal from a cell phone, you have a carrier speed that brings you to the cell phone. Within that signal, there's digital information. It's encrypted data that goes inside, that's encrypted by your machine, your cell phone, and then it's decrypted at the other end. Those, that digital signal is on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. So a lot of what we know about in terms of physical testing and impacts to cells are about that on, off, on, off impact to the cell. That's what's basically the jackhammer of a cell phone up to 4G. Now, let's talk about 5G. The FCC has approved up to 300 gigahertz. So we said one to two billion cycles per second. This is up to 300 billion cycles per second. And we talked about a jackhammer, right? The, the, the 4G jackhammer of a cell phone today. Well, with 5G, most of the signals in the first year or two, the next couple of years, is going to be around 23 gigahertz and 60 gigahertz. A little lower, but still pretty fast. And the way that signal will touch the far end is what they call MIMO, multiple in, multiple out. So your cell phone will have two signals directed towards your cell phone. By the way, to your head as well. So now you have two separate digital signals that are hitting you. So what's the impact of that? I don't know. We know what, we know what up to 4G does. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit, what happens to the cell, because there's really a breakdown of a cell. Um, that is actually pretty important to know. And in your case, you probably quite understand that when we talked about radio frequency stuff versus x-rays, some in the industry talk about an x-ray can kill you, but non-ionized radiation, which is RF, won't. Well, let's talk a little bit about an x-ray. An x-ray is called ionized. What, what, what does that mean? Well, when you have an electron running around a neutron of a signal and, and you have an X-ray hitting you for a long period of time, that electron is knocked out of its orbit and it's charged. It becomes ionized. That's why they call it ionized. And that's what does the mutated cell and DNA damage of the cell. It's that mechanical breakdown. Well, non-ionizing radiation has a different breakdown of a cell. But through research and science, we know that once the, the cell becomes in an oxidative stress, roughly, it's saying, forget, I, I don't want to be hit with this anymore. It actually breaks down and calcium penetrates the cell itself. And through a series of processes, it mutates and DNA damages the cell. It's a different mechanic, but ionized is as bad as non-ionized or vice versa. There's no difference. Wow. Yeah. Really, and, it's really interesting to know. Right. Because, because people say it's not ionized. Well, do you don't understand science? Right. We and have. Go, go ahead. ahead I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. We, we have Dr. Powell and quite a number of other very brilliant researchers 
showing the physical mechanical breakdowns of a cell. And it's not as if we don't know that. We do know it. We've clearly been able to replicate it. So the metadata is telling us very clearly there could be damage. And by the way, when I talk about a cell breakdown in the environment that we're talking about today, which has occurred over the last 10 years, you, when I, when the 1970, 1987, when the standards were created for the cell phone, I had a cell phone. I had no one to call. I had no one to call because my friends couldn't afford a cell phone. That was casual use. Today, your son, your daughter, six years old, is their casual use is hours at a time. And so when you think about that, the standards were created when there was a very different uses factor on cell phones. And today, it's very different. What's the practical impact of that? Well, the standard was developed so it wouldn't heat your head up by two degrees in 1987. Because why would it heat it up? It's a microwave signal. And as you may know, the biological impact is far more known to be a problem for the human than the thermal impact. So the standards was created by a six-foot male model. It was actually an army group of men, six-foot male. It represents roughly 3% of the population. The rest of us have thick skulls or thinner skulls. The membranes are more pliable. If you're a woman, if you're a child, it's still forming. What does that mean? That same standard signal doesn't enter the six-foot male brain by one inch. It goes right through the head of a child at the very youngest of ages. What's the impact? We don't know. Yeah, and I think you bring up such an important point with the difference of a child versus an adult or versus an adult six foot male. And children today are sitting down and using tablets all day long. And so I think that we're going to have, I mean, I've seen in practice just a huge spin up of autoimmunity, cancer, all kinds of things that I definitely didn't experience as a child. But I'm seeing a lot of children struggling with this. And in your opinion, how much of this is linked to cell phone, tablet, EMF use? There, there's no question whatsoever. I believe our environment has changed. And one of the influences is the electromagnetic radiation in our environment. The ambient is 100 to 1,000 times higher than it was 20 years ago. So. What does that mean? Um, Statistics from the industry, for example, will say that um, frontal lobe cancer hasn't changed in the last 10 years. If you look at the data, it has on the frontal lobe, but not the rest of the brain. So is there a correlation between the increase 2% compounded per year over the last 10 years in frontal lobe cancer related to cell phones. It could be. It very likely may be, but it's really hard to prove. But this is what we know. 
through research, we know that the frontal lobe is always where the cell phone is most prevalent and most impacting. Now I want to talk a little bit about something different than that, the neurological impacts. What we know is when I, I, I ran a technical laboratory for the Bell system, I, I had really complex laboratories. And I used to look at the interference with one system to another system. They call that crosstalk interference. Well, with, with the work we're doing, what we've actually found is there appears to be a similar kind of interference with the brain and the cell phone. So, you know, when you were saying before, you, you haven't seen that when you were a kid. Well, look at the kids now today. They have laptops and cell phones in their hands at six years old. Is there impact to the frontal lobe? And by the way, I call that the supervisory function. That's the most important part of the brain. I mean, part of the body. It controls everything. And there's interference potentially, not just the cell breaking down or a cancer being created. I, I'm less worried about that. And I'm more concerned about the substantial increase in behavioral issues with kids. Those are more concerning for me because I think trends um, are um, seems to indicate that. And look, ADHD, um, it's post and prenatal in some research, post and prenatal. That means you're in the womb. You're getting influenced by the emissions around you. Then you get out and it gets worse. So there's certainly a trend for that. And from a, I, I like to cite uh, in, uh, in San Francisco a few years ago, there was a, a physician and actually gave meters to a bunch of uh, women who were in their first trimester. What they found was that there was a three times more likely miscarriage rate when there was higher levels of emissions in their environment than when they were not. Does it influence us? Is that substantially st st statistically significant? No. And I, let me talk about that a little bit. Um, if you and I wanted to prove that there was cancer related to exposures to children, we would have to take about 10,000 children, put them in a room, feed them organic food so it's nice and clean, make sure their air environment is clean, and radiate them for 10 to 20 years. Then we'd take another population of 10,000 and would say, let's compare them after 20 years. And if we see an increased rate of death and cancers and other serious illnesses, then we can conclusively, statistically, significantly say there's a difference. Well, that's why you don't see it, because we're not going to do that to our kids. No, no, we're not going to do it to not. them. But so, so that's sort of the problem is that to really prove and demonstrate there's a clear link is very hard to do. And like every other kind of environmental introduction in our lives, it often takes 20, 30, 40 years to figure out what its real impact is. Right. And how, I mean, with the kids having to sit down with tablets all day long, it's part of their schoolwork and their curriculum. How can these kids protect themselves or how can parents protect their children from the EMF radiation? Um, let's talk about that in a general way. I have okay. a rule. I have a rule of thumb. Um, 
you want to manage the bees in the room. One bee won't hurt you, a thousand will kill you. That's sort of like a general analogy that I use. So any toxin in your environment, if you can pull it out of that environment, that's a good thing. So if you had um, a, gas, uh, a gas can opened up in your living room and was spewing out volatile organic compounds and you were getting sick, what's the best way to fix it? Take it out of the room, right? And that, that, that's one of the bees in a room. But all of a sudden we're getting many, many more toxic bees in the room. And those electromagnetic radiation bees, your router is transmitting into that environment. Your cell phone is transmitting into that environment. Your laptop is transmitting. So all of a sudden you have where 10 years ago you had none of these transmissions in the room. Now it's almost swamping your environment that you're living in. So how do you fix it? Turn them off. Plug it in with wire. You don't need to have a, a, a Wi-Fi connection. Um, I have my, my laptop. I haven't thrown my laptop away. I have it wired with an Ethernet wire. Um, I don't. When I use my Roku uh, controller, I have an Ethernet cord to it. I don't have a Wi-Fi. With my cell phone, there's three transmissions out of a cell phone, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and cell phone transmissions. Do I need all of them? No. I don't use my Wi-Fi. I never use my Bluetooth. I turn the transmitters off. I just use the Wi-Fi, uh, the cell phone. And very importantly, I move it more than four foot away from me. By simply moving this stuff away, there's a logarithmic drop down of power levels that influence the, the body. Move it away. When it's close, an RF signal suppresses immune. Something you may not even know. But Dr. Ali Johansson, he's been doing this study work for hypersensitive for 30 years. And his research is clearly demonstrated a direct link to immune suppression. Not a good thing right? That means your body needs to be prepared more than ever before in this new environment we're living in until we somehow control the toxins that we're introducing in that environment. Mm -hmm. and, and how can, you know, you, you talked about pregnant women that were more likely to have a miscarriage when they were exposed to higher levels of radiation. Right. Um, how can... A, a woman protect herself from that when she's pregnant? Is there, uh, other than moving, you know, the cell phone away or the laptop away, is there something else to do? Because the radiation is all around us. Yeah. Um, truly the best thing you can do is move it away. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally that's the easiest thing to do and move it away. Um, I have a company that sells shielding but you never have to buy anything I have if you're simply diligent in your environment. Um, so what I always say is like your router at night, get a little controller, turn it off at night automatically, turn it back on at seven o'clock when you're up. It's not a big deal, $10 to control it and you're safe. In your bedroom, you definitely want to make sure there is nothing. I had a, I was talking with a podcaster once, a wonderful lady, bright, bright lady. And I was telling her, 
melatonin is disrupted by our signals. And she was being very polite, said, oh, oh, that's good. And I said, do not have a cell phone in your bedroom. And that's one way we know that there is an influence of melatonin. That's one of the 4,000 body functions that potentially are interfered with when you have a cell phone or any other RF signal within an environment. Uh, about four or five weeks later, she calls me up and she says, I didn't believe you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she said, I didn't believe you. And she said, my husband and I are sleeping. And I said, now you know, now you know why. <laughs> That's great. So when you're looking at this and determining, you mentioned a little bit people that are hypersensitive, hypersensitive to right. EMFs or, um, or to identify if they're sensitive to EMFs. I mean, I think it's a good idea to move it out. How can you identify if you're somebody that's hypersensitive, you're hypersensitive to this? You'll, you'll like this. I have a test. (laughs) Do you like to smell perfume? Do you like to smell gas? (laughs) If you don't, you are multiply chemically sensitive. Mm-hmm. If you're multiply chemically sensitive, you're electrohypersensitive as well. You actually can feel it, particularly those who are extreme. It can get really, really pretty bad, as you may know. And, right. and it's a perfect test because they're complaining about when I go through my laptop closely, my ting- hands tingle. When I put a cell phone to my head, it hurts. My, my eye hurts when I put a cell phone. Well, that's because you're electric hypersensitive and your body is responding and saying, get it away. So one of the best little things they ask is, are you multiply chemically sensitive? And 100% are electric hypersensitive as well. And, And by the way, a few years ago, 15 to 20% of the population had some form of multiple chemical sensitivity. It's growing beyond 20% now. It's, it's becoming more chronic. And when, when I talk about electromagnetic radiation, that's the big problem with up to 4G. That's the huge problem when you get to 5G. So what I'm seeing in practice is I am looking at glutathione levels a lot, especially yeah. when somebody is chemically sensitive. And I'm seeing a lot of people being depleted with glutathione. Have you seen any link between glutathione depletion and radiation exposure? Absolutely. Zinc is 100% in the hypersensitive. Zinc, the lack, excuse me, the lack, the lack of zinc. There are clear body indicators that sort of are pointing to the kinds of um, body response. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, Dr. Anne-Marie, but um, have you ever heard of CDR? No. Okay, let's talk about that because it's important for you. Um, We talk about oxidative stress, Mm -hmm. and that's the imbalance of the free radicals to the antioxidants, right? And so when in the past, three or four years past, everyone talked about oxidative stress to the cell, and that was the body response to electromagnetic radiation. Well, yeah, you're not getting enough oxygen. We know that. But is that really a good characterization? 
And very recently, there's been actually some real solid work about CDR, cell danger response. I, I have a friend of mine who's a biochemist, and I used to tell her when we were investigating this stuff, a cell's a cell. It doesn't invent a different way of responding to a toxin. And electromagnetic radiation is a toxin. That's The body doesn't know the difference between that and a, and a multiple organic a, a compound. And so then we finally found a lot of body of work around CDR. And all of a sudden, it's sort of describing pretty sophisticatedly how the body is reacting to this toxin. And um, we've been able to um, actually, based on that, sort of figure out ways of helping the body improve its response to emissions like that. And believe it or not, neurological, it starts with neurological first. We found, you'd, you'd appreciate that, you can be walking and your brain's asleep. In other words, the brain patterns, the brain waves get so disrupted from the crosstalk interference, from the ambient RF in the environment, that is disrupting brain function. And that gets worse because all of a sudden you're not sleeping right. So your body's not recovering. The mitochondrial functions are de depressed. There's a lot of subtending stuff that goes on. And um, so you, you may want to spend a little time looking at that because what we've found is that that's a great way of looking how the body's responding and maybe give you insight into some of the things you can do. Although I'm sure you know, circadian rhythm of the body, all those kinds of basic stuff needs to be adhered to, or you're not going to be able to respond well anyway. Um, you, know, you know, what's interesting is I'm running tests quite a bit, and I see a lot of mitochondrial dysfunction yeah. Yeah. across the board. It's pretty much consistent in, in every other patient, yep. every time I run a test, and these folks are healthy, like they're working on being healthy, and you see it across the board. And do you know that there's a direct link with frontal lobe um, um, uh, moods, um, brain function within the frontal lobe that directly correlates to mitochondrial performance, not recovering. A direct link, 100% of the time. So if you can measure it, I don't know if you've used the uh, um, lobby. It's a, it's a, a brain control. You can actually measure the performance of the frontal lobe and you can see and correlate body performance by measuring the resistance of the frontal lobe regions. Wow. Yeah. Functional neurology is not really my stick, but I mean, I think I've heard great things about it. There's no with, question. With if, you're, yeah. if, you're, if you're dealing with this in your practice, there's no question. One of the things we realize very quickly is if you're walking and, and your brain's sleeping, how is your body recovering? They won't Not. recover. Mm -mm. When you're sleeping, the wrong stuff's going on. And it's so important to get the pattern right and correct it. And you can fix the, um, the leaky gut, which is always the case, by the way. Always. <laughs> right? And you can fix that, but you got to fix the brain first. And they use um, this couple of products. Um, BrainTap is one of them. 
that I know clinics are using now. And they, they get the brain to be functioning the way it should be. They use Wabi to measure the difference, differences. And they can really help now find ways of, of doing some repair to this. And, and by the way, um, I didn't mention this before, electromagnetic radiation. What is it? And we spoke a little bit of RF and ELF. Lulite is also electromagnetic radiation. The color you see on the rainbow, the blue component is almost, not quite, but it's almost um, ionized radiation. Ultraviolet light, you're worried about skin cancers. It's ultraviolet is uh, um, the, uh, the kinds of emission that is known to cause cancers under heavy exposures. Well, blue light is right below that. And in other words, it's strong enough to be influential. And when you talk about that light, I used to say, for example, I had a friend of mine, a physician, who was telling me about a woman that was in his office looking at the screen all the time, and she was getting dry eye for 10 years. And I said, are you sure that she has dry eye? Or is it is it related to the screen she looks at and the blue light being generated by the screen? And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna, I'll send you a pair of blue light glasses. He put them on. Within two hours, her eyes cleared up. It was uh, the exposure to the blue light component that she had been looking at for years. So I all, always talked about uh, the blue light component, potentially, we know through research and science, dry eye. We, we know that for sure. Um, but there's also uh, premature macular degeneration that also is associated with um, blue light exposure. What we're now learning is there's a path between the eye and the inner parts of the controlling brain function that starts beginning to have, could be the source of balance. And of course, even the neurologist wasn't even sort of thinking that could be the case. But the fact is this environment that we're, we're living in is, is actually beginning to affect us in a lot of ways we've just never understood. And so, I mean, primarily the first probably symptom of this is a headache more than likely yep. or balance yeah. issues. Yeah. One of those yeah. two is yeah. probably the starter. Ringing, ringing of the ears, mm-hmm. right? All of this is directly connected to the circumvicular organ. It's the the thing that's controlling. It's the most primitive part of the brain control. And do you know, is any of this dose dependent for people? I mean, normally it's not, but I'm just curious if it's dose dependent in this particular situation. I'll give you the long version of that because in theory, there, there, there shouldn't be. But because of the CDR function, it can get really. In other words, you can be electric hypersensitive. We fix your brain, we fix your body, and yet you have a cell phone near you, you'll feel it. Now, it's not really affecting you the way it did before you came to my clinic and I fixed you, right? But yet your body's still responding. So it takes very little. From a practical point of view, it does take more. And in fact, the way I describe it is you won't die if you use a cell phone for three minutes. It gets much, much worse the longer you use it. Duration of exposure is really one of the major kinds of things you worry about. 
And the other one, as we mentioned before, I didn't refer to it as this, but distance. Distance and duration. You got to be worried about both. So there's a huge debate just going back to cell phones. Um, parents don't know when it's appropriate to get their child a cell phone. Right. Do you have a comment on what's a safe age? The 23-year adult army was the standard. That's 1.6 watts per kilogram. If you're lucky, the manufacturer stays within that number. That goes all the way through a child. When you are 12 years old, maybe halfway through, it keeps on being less and less as you get older and potentially less damaging as you get older. But you know what? I got to tell you a side story. I, I invented, my boys were visiting me 12 years, no, about seven years ago. They were using their laptop on their lap. My wife says, I want grandchildren. And I, and I said, no, those, those transmissions, they can't be bothersome. No, you're absolutely wrong. You don't know what you talk about. So this is the intuition of a woman, you know, and I'm, I'm arguing with it, right? So I said, well, let me look at it a little bit. And so I began looking into the research and I found after about three to four hours, 25% of the male sperm is immobile. So I said, wow, how come we don't know this? By the way, that's why I wrote the book, because there was so much information no one knew about. So um, I ended up building a device because I knew they weren't going to throw it out. But I also knew that the distance problem would be solved because I could shield the signal from hitting their groin area. And fast forward today, I still don't have any grandchildren, but I do have a. <laughs> <laughs> Might not be because of EMF use. <laughs> <laughs> Might not be because of that. Um, so with males, um, you see uh, sperm motility reduced. What do you yep. see with women um, on the female reproductive piece? Yeah, that's something I haven't talked a little bit very much about. But we know that there's, from a study work, a very large study work in Europe, that there's roughly a 2% uh, um, growth in the womb directly related to electromagnetic exposure. A small percentage of that becomes tumor, tumorous, cancerous. So we already know there's a link. There's another link. Um, in fact, Dr. Uh, Powell talks about this, and I don't believe it, but, but I'll share his view. If you take a cell phone and you give it to a 12-year-old girl, she puts it in her pocket, her back pocket. That's close proximity to the egg. There's, mute, there, there's a potential for mutation, for DNA damage. Damage that may be in her subtending generation, children she bores. And so there's the concern, not of just the woman itself, but her children and their children's children. I don't believe that so much because I believe in statistics. You know, what's the probability of every 12-year-old girl putting it in her back pocket and every one of them having DNA damaged cells? Very low. But there is possibilities, and certainly research has shown that there is those links. So ultimately, you know, it affecting the egg could affect the genetics of the unborn baby, yeah. which, I mean, we see with nutrition all the time. I mean, we know the egg and the sperm are formed four months before. And so if we really want 
the, a, a couple to have a healthy baby, we start four months before. Absolutely. I, I had probably the most, he's certainly the longest living radiologist in the U.S. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. And when I wrote the book, I asked him to take a look at it. And his whole world was research over the last 25, 30 years. Brilliant man, Dr. Passad. And uh, he read it and he said, I've known ionized radiation my whole life, and you're in providing insight to me. But you know what? The part about impacting the womb, I'm not sure I believe that. Then one day he called me up about a year later, and he said, you know what? I had a young woman in my practice. She came in. Um, she had a baby. And that baby had the most obscure genes that they've ever seen. And he said, you know what? That's what I remembered you telling me that there could be that link. So that's anecdotal. It's certainly not science, but I don't know. I'll tell you, I got into building cell phone shields because of an anecdotal story. These parents gave a 16 year old girl a cell phone. And um, within a year, she had frontal lobe cancer and passed away. It's, Really, that's anecdotal, but she wouldn't have had that problem if if she would took precaution. And right. kids don't know that now, but you should. Yeah. yeah, I feel like no one's really talking about this. No. This isn't. This isn't. You know, this should be yelled from the rooftops. And I, yeah. I feel like a lot of the environmental chemicals that we're exposed to, it's very yeah. hush hush. And I mean, yeah. it's personally what I do all day long in practice. Yeah. But I just think this should be yelled from the rooftops. Oh, there's no question about it. And, and, the, and a little bit of the problem is I've, I've, I've mentioned Dr. Powell, Dr. Ali Johansson, they're, they're, they're Dr. Carpenter out of New York. There's so many people, and Dr. Uh, Muskwitz out uh, of Berkeley. There's all these people saying, what's going on? We know, there's thousands and thousands of research studies thousands that come to the same conclusion. Now, if I'm a skeptic because of statistics, I would be a little concerned. I would think there may be some precaution I should take in my life because we know the standards were for a six foot male that was um, using the phone occasionally. That is absolutely not true today. And they were thermal. Everything you and I talked about is biological. And there's no legislation in the state that I live in specifically on 5G, cell phone towers, cell phone use. There's no legislation around it. Do you know why that is? I I can tell you exactly why. (laughs) Um, The FCC issued some governance about local municipalities. They've prevented local municipalities from being resistive to the installation. They, it cannot be turned down in local municipalities because of health reasons. You may not look at how it, lo- how it looks in the, in, the, in, the, in the thing, but you can't turn it down for health. This is law. Now, I'm going to give you an idea of what that means. 
Um, when you have a cell phone, we talked about four or five miles. The transmitters on the cell towers are 60 watts. 60, remember, 60. Well, 5G is so fast, it can only go 750 feet. So you have a cell tower every other house on your block. That's 20 watts. If you look at studies around 60 watts, anybody within a mile of a 60-watt signal is three times more likely to have a cancer. I have no idea with 5G. In fact, if anybody tells you they really understand what 5G is going to do, they have no idea what they're talking about. Why? There's been literally no study by absolutely anybody in the industry. But this is what I know. At 18 gigahertz, bugs, the biome of your, your gut thrives. Is that a good thing? Maybe, maybe not. I know that 90 gigahertz, when I remember seeing you in college and I saw you being run away because there were guns that the government was uh, pointing at you um, and breaking up that crowd. That's a 90 gigahertz electromagnetic radiation signal that happens to resonate with your um, sweat gland. It's chemical, so it absorbs it. What happens when it? You get really, really hot and you run. So on 90 gigahertz, I know it's not so good. I know at 18 gigahertz, it's not so good. But the rest, no one can really tell you because we've not studied it at all. It's so really the, scary. It, it's really it, really, scary. It, really, it really is scary to me uh, because I was from the research side. Um, and I never accepted anybody's comment about what you're telling me is legitimate. I have to verify that through my science. And none of that has happened. But this is what I can tell you. If you were to project our understanding up to 4G, I would probably project it's worse than better. <laughs> and it could be much worse. I was mentioning to you, uh, we have relationships with uh, um, uh, clinics. One of the clinics, there was a guy, Dr. Court, uh, out of Portland. And he called me up one Saturday and he says, I'm burning up. I'm burning up. What's going on? And I said to him, how the hell do I know what's going on? I don't know your environment. Um, but I said, did you get new service, telephone service? Did you get cable service? Oh, yeah. We just got new cable. I said, well, go look at what they gave you. And it turned out they gave him a 5G router. He could feel it before he saw it. And he's electric hypersensitive, by the way. Um, so he was more sensitive than normal. So the CDR response was a higher, quicker response in that exposure than normal. So, so we're definitely all exposed to this. I mean, there's no way to get around it. I mean, even if you don't think you're exposed to a cell phone tower or whatnot, you absolutely are. So in my opinion, I've had a real hard time with EMF readers because they don't really feel like they're that backed by science to me. Right. But they I'd don't really understand like, physics. <laughs> <laughs> I'd really like to get your perspective on the EMF readers and, and what we could maybe rely on or depend on to know 
how much we're being exposed? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, meters can be orders of magnitude incorrect. Why? Because they're not laboratory meters. They, they may be right. They may not be right. You have no idea. So when you pick up a meter and you think you're going to die because the thing's beeping red to you, that doesn't mean there's danger. It just simply says that meter thinks there's danger. Um, but if you spend time trying to figure out where the bees in the room are, you're better off spending your time doing that than trying to use a meter to tell you what you would already know if you were paying attention to your own environment. Like, like um, we were talking about uh, smart meters. Mm -hmm. People always ask me about smart meters. It's one gigahertz signal that is periodic. Uh, every second, every 30 seconds, every minute, every hour, every 24. It depends on who you're doing it, what function it's doing. If it's on the side of your garage and you have a two-car garage and your bedroom's on the other side of the garage, that's 25 feet. Are you worried about a one, one, uh, one gigahertz transmission? Absolutely not. If it's on the wall of your bedroom, move your bed. Because now it's constant load over an eight-hour period, duration and intensity are high. Move your bed. And I actually, I'm not being facetious when I say that. It can influence you, and you won't even realize it until your body disruption is worse and worse and worse. Um, and by the way, I always tell this to everybody I talk to, multiple chemically sensitive it's 80% women. Electric hypersensitivity, 80% women. Why do you think that is? Hormones. Hmm. Um, aluminum uh, from the, um, the intake of, of drugs. There's a lot of reasons, um, which we really, science doesn't understand yet, by the way. Um, there's brain differences. And when the crosstalk, we talked about a little bit about that, that could be. But no one really can pinpoint it. But it's a fact. And by the way, I beat that. I beat everyone who I talked to about that. Tell me why women, because they are suffering more than men. And we got to noticed that too. Yeah, though well, that's good. Definitely, that's good to hear. That. That's good to hear. It's interesting. Just on a side note, I've also seen in those women, I've also seen a lot of mold exposure as well. As like a, as, as just a clinical correlation, I've seen other exposures, but definitely mold exposure, sometimes benzene. A cell to cell. Mm -hmm. It's right. not inventing a different way of responding. Right. And with, with mold, by the way, you don't clean the air, you find the source, right? Um, and it's a volatile organic compound. The spore is, it's not the mold, it's the spore. Right. But you're right. And there's a hundred percent correlation because as I said before, there's a 100% correlation between uh, multiple chemical sensitivity and electric hypersensitivity. The body's responding the same way. And it's really hard to tell what it is. You really need to make sure you clean both environments, the electrical environment, as well as the chemical environment. So just to recap, it sounds to me like the smart meters aren't really backed by science across the board. So no. it's really about paying attention to what is right. in your environment and, and looking around and just noticing that 
and ultimately changing your environment to be away from right. the EMFs that you're noticing. That's uh, Dr. Emery, you're absolutely right. It is not the time to panic about the potential exposures. The time is to think about the environment and how you can modify your environment to be more friendly for your body and your family's body. It's really true. The FCC is not going to protect you. Nope. I'll tell you a little story. Uh, the chairman of FCC that approved 5G was the chairman of CTIA 30 years earlier. He was the head of the consortium representing all the cell phone companies. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So if you think you're going to be protected by the federal government, standards bodies, not necessarily true. Wow. That's that's a conflict of interest. <laughs> Definitely a big Without conflict a doubt. of interest. Just Without lightly. a doubt. Yeah, just <laughs> the, 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 talk about the fox in the hen house. I mean, like, wow. give me a break. Yeah, really true. Wow. Um, and it always takes a, um, um, what is it? Um, uh, the, um, you used to cook your French fries in it. Um, the oil. Um, what is it? Trans fats. Oh, Trans gotcha. There was a lonely biochemist 35 years ago that said, eggs aren't killing you. It's the trans fats we're using. It took how many years before was a ban? Last year was the first year it was banned. That's how long it took. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, so I think the other thing that I've really struggled with is people just put these chips on their cell phone and they'll say, I'm safe. And, and to me, it's really been hard for me to find science-based articles on these particular devices. And then also looking at what I've researched that you don't have a, the EMF readers aren't really reading correctly. It's also what I think science has stated, or at least what I've seen. Yeah. Um, this is my opinion. Um, so I'm curious, what is something that we can use to protect ourselves and how is what your Defender Shield products, how are they superior than some of these other products? I had a, a chit-chat argument with, um, she, she was a red blood cell expert. Mm -hmm. And she was proving that electromagnetic radiation modifies the blood, blood cell, uh, red blood cell count. I said, who gives a, who gives a darn about that? I'm looking for the more serious, more permanent. So measuring temporary body response is not necessarily an indication of a problem. That leads me to when you have someone claim that they have a device that can protect you, you want to look at the independent research laboratory that verified their claim independently. And it's not indirect. The blood cell count, for example, that's indirect. It's not direct. So I always say something, everyone, that they really should look for the independent unbiased study work that substantiates the claim. There are so many that don't understand physics and make physics claims. Um, and I won't go into the details, 
but there are a lot of claims being made about how this somehow eliminates the exposure and you're perfectly safe, yet you're still talking to the cell tower. That's a conflict of statements, physically impossible to do. So when they say, I've done something to the signal and it's still being connected to the transmitters, something doesn't seem right. And many of the things we've looked at, they simply really don't understand the problem. Um, they may do something. I haven't seen an independent study, nor have I been able to prove their claim. So I, I always caution um, everyone to really pay attention. The best things you can do is distance and time. If you can't do that, try to find something that can be independently verified that's functional. And your products are independently verified? Oh, yeah. I actually, I went, I actually, uh, Dr. Ann, actually knew more about the study, the, the testing than they did because that's what I did for a living. Um, and, but you can't trust me. You shouldn't trust me. So I went to laboratories that I knew were certified to do this kind of testing. And I said, tell me how our products perform. And they told me that's what we publish, not what I think it is. Um, so it's really sort of important to have that unbiasedness because people are making claims. I'll give you an example. For sure they are. We, 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 talked, we talked about 5G. Mm -hmm. I have military-grade design detail teams working to build me shielding. I have prototypes. The laboratories in the U.S. market cannot test it because they don't go up to 300 gigahertz. None in the U.S., so if you're reading something and says, look, we're 5G compatible, you got to be joking me. You have nothing that can prove that you make that claim. So people are beginning to make those claims. And it's just not true. You really got to be careful because it could be a life in some mm -hmm. cases. It's really that important. So I think really, and correct me if I'm wrong, the really big take home messages here, distance from your devices, yep. um, making sure you're not putting, say these devices on your lap and whatnot, not on your organs. Don't right. be putting, say your cell phone in your back pocket. Right. Maybe as much as you can, put your cell phone on, cell phone on airplane mode so it's not yep. transmitting con right. constantly. Right. Um, and that is, and if, let's say your bed is by a smart meter, to move your bed right. to be a little bit away from that so you're not just right. constantly being transmitted yeah. basically. And so those are really the big take-home messages. Exactly. Today. It's simple stuff you can do. Um, within a day, if you have a router 10 foot away from you, that's probably sort of okay. At night, forget it. Mm -hmm. You do not want it in that environment. So you really want to be conservative, move it away, turn it off, make sure your environment is clean. And honestly, making that environment clean is the best thing you can do. And it's the simplest thing to do. Um, um, Ethernet when you can. Wire your 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 devices. Um, if you're going to use your cell phone, and you put it directly against your head, try to limit the time. Don't spend too much time on it. If you want to spend more time, put it in a 
and uh, put it in your hand and put it on speakerphone. If, if that doesn't work for you, get a headset. I'm wearing a headset. You're wearing a headset, right? Just get a headset. It's better than against your head. Why did I say that? Well, here's a point of fact in research. A cell phone generates 1.6 watts per kilogram. If that signal is starting here, how far can it go? A six-foot male, one foot, uh, one inch, excuse me. I was like, wow. <laughs> wow right. if, if you have a blood-brain barrier down, not protecting the brain itself, there can be a frontal lobe cell mutated at dot one watts, 15 times less power level. So it can get fairly serious if it's long-term use. And if you're concussed, where you have a blood-brain barrier down, that's not so good. And by the way, 20%, 30% of us have concussions. And I would even guess the blood-brain barrier being down is is quite a high number. I mean, I see quite a high number yeah. in my practice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not even just being concussed or having a concussion, um, but just because um, of the environment, really, overall. Yeah. So. By the way, um, electrohypersensitive have concussion-like symptoms. It's really interesting how that's why the body's a body, the cells a cell. It's reacting the same way to the toxic environment it's in. This is this has been awesome and incredible. Where can people find your products? Um, they can find my book, Defense yes. uh, the Radiation Nation, which by the way, I wrote for the layperson. I was so frustrated. There was so much research and no one knew about it. The practitioners didn't know about it. The researchers did, but they talked to themselves. They didn't talk to the public. And then the complexity of what is EMF, it's not that complicated. So the book, Radiation Nation, is a book that tries to help you understand our environment today. And Radiation Nation can be found at DefenderShield.com. Um, DefenderShield.com is our website um, that actually has the book, of course, has a lot of information about the science and research that's been happening, including 5G. We have pages and pages of, here's, if you want to understand what this environment's like, read our 5G website. And we also have uh, all the product lines we have produced over the years. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Dan. We really appreciate that. Well, thanks so much for inviting me. I really do appreciate it. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.